the Lord is so good that what he's put on my heart today, we've already sang, and, and God's wanting to touch our situations. And, you know, I was going to end up today talking about uh, Paul's life experience, and I was going to come out of uh, Acts uh, chapter 13, 44 through Acts 13, 52, and, and just to kind of remind us of what he went through. And, and a lot of us may say, I'm not the Apostle Paul, but if you're a disciple, a believer, then you can be. Uh, God wants to move in your life even more than he moved in the Apostle Paul's life. And I don't say that digging Paul, I don't say that digging anybody, is God wants to, to give all that he can to each and every one of us. Uh, that's why the, the, we started out with the prayer that we did today is, Lord, I want an increase of you. I want more of you in my life. And when we do that, God's going to move. But I want you to know that, that, like Paul, there was three things that I saw in this, that, that in these chapters and acts that he was effective, that he had opposition, but he operated in joy. And I want us to realize as believers today that, that you are effective. If you're a believer here today, you are effective for the Lord. If you're a believer here today, the old devil's going to do everything he can to come against you. He's going to oppose you. Uh, don't be surprised when he does. And the third thing is here today, you can have great joy in your situations. And that's what we're going to talk about today. If you remember a few weeks ago, uh, the body to me was going through a lot of the same trials and tribulations that we're experiencing today. Some of the temptations that, that's going on around us right now. Uh, if you guys remember on uh, uh, February, or excuse me, April the 24th, I preached on Beyond Temptation. And I was talking about how we need to be on the temptation of, of not trusting God or, or failing or whatever you would be. But we used the example of all the rain and all the, the floods we were getting. Has that changed a bit? You know, if I remember that day, it was storming outside just the same way as it is today. And the Lord told me that day, he said, share with the people that there is no temptation in your life. There's none that are different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. And when you're tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can stand under it. And we used that scripture that day and was talking about that, that nothing's new under the sun. And God was reassuring us that no matter what temptation was going on in our life, whether it be the floods, the rains, the, our marriages, or our children, or whatever it may be, that no temptation was new under the sun. Uh, we went into and talked about how Satan used the same tactics back in the day that he used today. That, that the same tactics that t- Satan used on Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.8, he used on, on Israel. And we shared from 1 Corinthians 10 the tactics that he used on Israel. And then we talked about Jesus and the same tactics that Satan used on him. And those tactics were the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And when we get focused on all these things here and get our eyes off Jesus, then we begin to miss the mark. We begin to to fall into that trap. Well, that's the same temptation that he's using today. 
Uh, Peter, 1 John talks about it in 2.15. And I shared that scripture that day as well. But he said, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. And we were talking about that, that, that man, when we keep our eyes on Jesus, it doesn't matter what's going on around us. We're beyond temptation. But what's happened so many times is that same old tactic that Satan uses against us, those lusts of the flesh, the lusts of the eyes, the pride of life, we begin to focus on them, focus on losing this or losing that, and we quit focusing on God, and that's when the situations become really, really tough. And I just wanted today to encourage you again that with Christ, we will be effective. With Christ, Satan's going to oppose us, but we will be victorious. With Christ, we will walk in joy. Keep your mind on Christ. Keep your mind on who he is. The scripture that we shared today out of 1 Corinthians reminded us that there was nothing new under the sun. That there was no trial, there was no tribulation, no temptation that anybody has gone through that, that we're not battling Nothing's new under the sun. We need to continue to press into him. Continue to follow him. We can handle it. And that's the other thing I see from the scripture today, that that God believes you can handle the situation you're going through, or he wouldn't allow it to be upon you. And that's the other thing that we forget so many times that when this trial comes against us, you know, farmers, you, you may be looking at these rains and the damage and all the money that's been spent with all these challenges come against us. Remember, hey, God's behind you. He, he's not going to leave you or forsake you. You know, if your marriage is struggling here today, realize that God, God is with you. He's not going to put more on you than you can handle. But the third thing of the, of the first Corinthian scripture said is he's with you and he'll give you a way out. God will be with the farmers in here today. God will be in the struggling marriages. God will be wherever we allow him to be. We need to pull him in. We need to allow him more in our lives. We need to let him in more than ever before. The second thing and what the, the scripture that the Lord really put upon my heart today and what I shared with you then just that minute God reminded me of when I wrote this I'd forgotten that that on April the 24th we shared these words but God kept pressing on my heart today that he wants us to have joy during our trials and our tribulations he wants us to press into him and experience more of him during our trials and tribulations in first James or James 1 2 through 4 It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect. That you may may be perfect and complete, not lacking anything. You know, it's easy for the Lord to say that. It's easy for the word to say that. But as, as I was thinking about this this morning and preaching this actually in the first service, my thunderstorm warning went off on my phone, 
My flash flood warning went off on the, you know how they go off on the phones of the church? And we're hearing all these go off and the Lord's saying, have joy in times of trials, tribulations, and temptations. To have joy. And, and I'm thinking about that and I thought, wow, how in the world can we have joy during these times? When we know that things are rough around us, there's hard things going on around us, how can we have joy? I thought Keith brought it really well. And I think Keith heard from the Lord today. The first service, I'd have been jumping for joy and doing backflips when he's saying it is well in our life because the guy that wrote that song, man, what he went through. And I Googled while Keith was singing that. I Googled to see exactly so that I'd have it right. But this guy, I Googled all this and I forgot to write his name down. But the guy that wrote the song was a lawyer, a wealthy lawyer in Chicago. Uh, he lost his son and, and to a tragedy. And then everybody knows about the Chicago fires. He lost his business of work in the Chicago fires. It didn't devastate him completely, but financially it really hit him harsh, hit him hard. And it was, it was very heavy upon him. So he decides to take his four girls and his wife and send them on a cruise to Europe. And he was going to follow behind them in a few days or a few weeks. So he sends his wife and four children on a ship over to Europe. And all know the story. There's a shipwreck. And all four of his girls were killed. Think about that. The guy lost his son. He lost his business. And he lost four children in a period, short period of time. When he got into a boat to go meet up with his wife in Europe, they say he wrote that song as he was passing by that spot. It is well with my soul. You know, when I think about that, it was probably hard for him to have joy in that trial of losing his five children and his business. It was probably hard to, to receive that and have joy in that situation. I know a lot of times when things hit me, it's hard to say, praise God for the thunderstorm warning and praise God, Lord, for the flash floods. Thank you, Jesus. But we need to press into the Lord and find that joy and walk in that joy. Just like this guy did that day. And when he did, he wrote a song that we're still singing today. Think about that. He may not have had joy in that moment, but as he pressed in to God, God began to move on his life and minister to him. And because of that, it ministered to you and me here today. How many was ministered to through that song today? Think about it. Look around the room. So the next question I ask you today is how many of you in this room today have a testimony? Just say, I've got a testimony to, that I could share. You know, you could share your salvation testimony. You just have a testimony that you can share. Do you realize you can't have a testimony without a trial? Do you ever think about that? All the rooms went up across this room today, or all the hands went up across this room today, 
I've got a testimony, a joy. You know, that's usually what we called it back when the church was small. Pastor Larry would get up and say, does anybody have any joys or concerns? He was saying, does anybody have a, a testimony they want to share? Well, a lot of times those testimonies didn't start out, oh, praise God that my house burnt down or, or praise God that this happened. But as they continued to press into God, that joy began to move upon their life and God touched their life and they had a joyous testimony. Joy comes from being in his presence. Jesus, the one that we're supposed to follow, his joy came from God's strength. Our joy needs to come from God's strength. The Bible says, and do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength, Nehemiah 8.10 says. So like Jesus, we too can find joy in the things that I'm getting ready to share with you. But Jesus found joy in the cross. Hebrews 12.2 says, For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Think about that. Jesus gave his life for you and I, died for you. In the beginning, that may have been tough for him to swallow. That joy may not have been there. But we know as he began to pray and seek the Lord, and, and he finally said, Lord, not my will, but your will, it turned to joy. Jesus dying on the cross he did for joy to set us free. And then we see joy in righteousness. Jesus took joy in righteousness and he hated wickedness. Hebrews 1.9 says you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond comprehension. When Jesus pressed into God in righteousness... And right things, and he hated wickedness. God anointed him with gladness. When we press into righteousness, God's going to bless us in gladness. We move on into the next one. Jesus took joy in obedience. He said in John 15, 10 and 11, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Joy comes in obedience to God. Jesus' joy came from the desire to please the Father and from abiding in Him. Jesus' joy was the fruit of obedience and delight in God's thoughts, ways, as well as an unbroken communion and intimacy with Him through abiding in God. And that's how we do it. And, and guys, did you ever think about that? I remember there was a time that, that I was growing in my faith, but I would literally wake up in the morning and I'd be like, kind of down and out. And I'd be like, well, I didn't do too bad yesterday. You know, I didn't get drunk and I didn't do these things. I'm really trying. And, and, and then I'd be happy that day. 
But the next day I'd give in to alcohol or I'd give in to something else and, and I'd wake up and I'd be depressed and down and out because I'd gave in to wickedness the night before. When you give in to righteousness, it's going to bring joy. When you bring in to wickedness and, and give in to it, it's going to bring depression. Depression just comes from wickedness. Gladness comes from righteousness and knowing that everything is right between you and God. So we pursue righteousness We pursue obedience in him. But this last one here is the one I love the most. But Jesus, his joy came from watching the father at work. Jesus knew when when he took joy in in the cross, in other words, our salvation, when we take joy in our salvation, Jesus knew when he took joy in righteousness, when he took joy in obedience, that like 1 Corinthians 10, 13 said, It was like God's going to go to work for you. God's going to start moving in your situation. It don't matter if if it floods the whole county. God's going to be with you. It doesn't matter what Satan throws at your family. God's going to be with you when you press into these things. God goes to work. The scripture says in Luke 10, 21, In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, God, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Another scripture that's not on the board there is, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Isaiah 55, 9. We don't understand why the things are happening the way they do. We don't understand the things that are going on in our life sometimes. But I tell you, when you trust in Jesus, take joy in Jesus, and don't allow your trials, your tribulations, your temptations to overcome you, but you stay in there and stand in your salvation, stand in righteousness, stand in obedience, and watch God do his thing. Amen? Because that's what a testimony is. It may not have been joyful in the beginning, but as I pressed into God, look what happened. Man, there's joy in the morning. We must draw joy from God's strength. The next picture is kind of a, I've already made my point, but, but I'll share you. That picture I was in Africa in the middle of Liberia, out in the middle of nowhere, and we had a blowout on the tire. And I may have shared this, but, but I was in the other vehicle And I thought, why do I got to stay back? Why can't they stay out in the hot sun and I can go on to town and get the tire fixed? No, actually, I didn't really think that way at all. But but I stayed back. And, And I'd already made my mind up going to Africa. I knew things wouldn't work out the way we wanted to. But I made my mind up. I was going to take joy in my salvation. I was going to live for righteousness. I was going to obey God and see what God could do. And so, you know, the thoughts are going through my mind. There's no way we're going to be able to minister today. You ever try to get a tire fixed in, in, in Africa, let alone replaced? Think about it. And, and anyway, I thought our day's done. And we sat down and kids just started coming out of the middle of nowhere. And we were able to just enjoy the, the time that we had with them kids that day. So it started out, it may not have been a time to say, oh, praise God, from all whom blessings flow, our tire went flat. Thank you, Jesus. And maybe we should have. Maybe we should have. 
But we immediately, the first thing we do is start complaining. But as we let God move in our situations, in our salvation, continue in righteousness, continue in obedience, continue in the things of God, he's going to change our life. The next point, for the believer to be successful, we need God's increased presence in our lives, period. More than anything, we need God. Spending time in the presence of God is the most important activity in your life. Do we get that today? Spending time with God is the most important thing in your life. Romans 8, 9 says the Spirit of God dwells in the believer. When you accept Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, His Spirit is in you. We develop our faith by asking God through prayer, through communication, for Him to increase His presence in our lives. And when we do that, He will respond. It's a guaranteed. God will respond. In Acts 2, 4, they were praying. Think about the tribulation and the trials that they were going through back in the day. You know, we're talking about financial loss with the, the, the things, some of the things today. They had lost everything financially. They had lost their families. They had lost their homes. They, would, they were in great tribulation. And they were in the upper room praying. The disciples were seeking God for increased presence because that's what Jesus told them to do. Jesus said, don't leave until you're filled with the Holy Ghost. So they were seeking increased presence. And when they did, what happened? Acts 2, 4, they received increased presence. They go on down the road, Acts 4, 31. They took on a lot of opposition. In other words, God's going to use you when you're in his presence. God's going to touch your life when you're in his presence. God is using you. And when you do, Satan's going to oppose you just like Paul, just like Peter, just like John. And they were threatened, they were attacked, and they went back to their church, to their home body, and they said, Father, we need increased presence. And we know the story, the place was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued on in what? Salvation righteousness, obedience, and watching God do his thing. It's pretty simple, guys. It's all through the word. Another one I used was Acts 10, 44, because this is when the Gentiles were saved. And that's most of us. If you're not a Jew in here today, you're a Gentile. And, and, and they opened the door for us to be saved. And they found some Gentiles that, that had re- received the Holy Spirit. And Paul, Peter's in there preaching to them. In Acts 10, 44 says, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. You know why? Because they were filled with the Holy Spirit already. Peter wanted to make sure, he said, by what salvation are you saved? And he started talking to them. They wanted to know all about God. So they said, I want all of it. Give me all of it. And, and guess what? He starts preaching. Boom, the Spirit of God falls. You want enhanced presence in your life? The Spirit of God will fall on your life. I promise you, it will. But the problem is, is where I started out today, the attack Satan puts on us, 
We love the lust of the world, the lust of our eyes, and the pride of life. We love the things of the world so much that we try to hang on to them and saving them instead of just going to the Lord and letting Him do His thing, and He'll bring all these other things around us. That's where we get into trouble so many times is we try to hang on to everything but the presence of God. The presence of God is the only thing that we need. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will be added unto you. Jesus said to him many times, what would you give in exchange for your soul? And he is talking about the things of this world. The things of this world carry too much stock, and they're too valuable to us. And guys, I'm talking about me here. They're too value. We need an enhanced presence of the Lord. We need to ask God to move more on our life. Today in the scripture that I'm probably not going to get to in Acts 13, 52, you know, Paul had experienced a, a great, he preached the word and God was with him. Man, he took on opposition, but the glory of the Lord filled him with joy in the Holy Spirit, Acts 13, 52. Through all the opposition, all the things, he stayed in, in, in joy of his salvation, the joy of righteousness, and the joy of obedience, and he watched God do a work in his life. In my Bible reading this week, it said the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Who did I tell you the temple was? It's us, those that believe. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The glory of the Lord's in you if you're a believer today. But let's ask for more. Let's ask for all of him. Let's ask for that revival that we've been praying about that would be in our life. The other thing that kind of jumped out at me here this week, and I had for an afterthought in here, but, but joy comes from knowing the word. And man, Jesus, he is so sharp, smooth, slick with the word. And, and you know, we talked about Matthew 4, 4 and Luke, you know, 4, where Jesus just tore the devil to pieces. But, but if you get to reading the word, I was speaking to the youth the other day in one camp, and we were out of John chapter 7 and chapter 8, and I wasn't even thinking about standing on the word to come against Satan but, but we were sitting there talking, and as I was preaching and, and, and talking to the kids, the Lord was dealing with me in my mind, and he was sitting there telling me, you know, that, that, that they're trying to kill Jesus. And we talked about that as a class. They were trying to destroy Jesus. The Pharisees and the Jews, some of the Jews were trying to trap him to crucify him. But who was driving him but Satan himself? So here we know, even in a story that we don't literally see Satan on the scene, but Jesus is under tremendous pressure, tremendous things, and, and they bring this adulterous woman into him, and they said, your scripture says, if you're called into adultery in Deuteronomy chapter 22, you're to stone him. Wow. They used the word against him. They used his own words against him. But then it dawned on me, and this is all going on while I'm speaking to these kids, and the Lord speaks to me in John, I think it was 7, 19, just before that, Jesus had hit the, the Pharisees and the Jews and all of them and said, you hypocrites, 
You hypocrites, you can't even obey the laws because you circumcised on the eighth day. In other words, the, just in chapter 7, the Jews admitted and he showed them even they couldn't stand up under the law. They couldn't even stand up under it. And how soon that they forgot and they come back in the next day throwing the same thing at him. But then I remembered Matthew 5, 17, where, where Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. Well, whenever they asked Jesus of all these things, Jesus said, whoever's without sin, cast the first stone. They couldn't cast the stone. Nobody could cast the stone, but who could? Jesus could, because he was without sin. He took it all on for us. He fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law. He took it on all of it. And then he turns to this gal and says, after all this nonsense, how would you like to be in that gal? Man, I did that to the kids that day. You know, I pulled a girl, girl up here. Uh, Julie, stand up here. We'll just do this. I like to embarrass you too. But, but, but guys, Julie was caught in sin. Julie's in sin and, and we need to deal with this. Think about that. The church brought her before Christ and is calling out her sin when we all in this room know we're without sin. And the only one in was without sin is Jesus. How would you like to be in that girl that day? You go ahead and sit down. I embarrassed you enough. But how would you like to be that person that day? And that's going through my mind. And Jesus spoke to her and he said, you know, none of them condemned you, did they? Well, no. And he goes, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He was telling her not to sin no more, but he was telling her, I paid the price on the cross. Man, he knew the word. Satan come at him with trials and tribulations and accusations, and he knew the word. How many times I butcher it when people come at to me and come after me and I know the word and I butcher it because I don't use it. Or they say a scripture and, and I'm too scared to argue with them and say, no, but it says this. The reason I'm telling you guys this is we need to know the word, guys. We need to know the word inside out because there's so much floating around out there. There is so much floating around out there. If you don't know the word, you're going to be torn to pieces. So we need to ask God for an enhanced presence, but also an enhanced what I want to say, wisdom, knowledge to his word. But it takes us studying that. It takes us turning to him. But guys, the word will bring you joy. You know, uh, me and Angie were at a deal the other day, Cook. She's representing the church as a lay leader, and they are presenting some word that wasn't truth. They are using the word. You guys, you know that people that are justifying sins in their lives will use the word to do it. Think about that. When I was talking to your children in one camp the other day on chapter 2 and John, the only thing they wanted to talk about is the booze drinking. And, and it was, it was pretty obvious what parents think about drinking. You could tell each kid by what they said. There's a hundred different views word-wise on what drinking is. We need to know what the Bible says and how it applies to our life. Not what our parents think, not what our pastor thinks, not what the Pope thinks, but what the Word of God says. And we need to apply it to our life.
But we can use that for many things. We justify a lot of things on scriptures, and if we knew it, we have no leg to stand on. But what we see here is James is really, he's saying to, to the group here, it was hard to find joy when we're focused on the cares of the world. And, and I'm not going to get any deeper into this point other than to read the scripture. And I'm going to ring it out of the NLT. But James 4, 1 and 3, but he was kind of getting after the church. He said, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desire at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme, kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask God, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. And boy, he was jumping after the church there. He confronted riches. He confronted the way we treat people. He confronted a lot of things that, that people give up when they want something. Um, but as Pastor James is writing, truth faith shows itself in practical godly living. That's what he was trying to tell them. Take joy in your salvation. Take joy in your righteousness. Take joy in obedience. And take joy in seeing God do his thing. So, I close out today. I'm not going to read the scripture from Acts chapter 13. I'm not going to read through uh, uh, 14, 1 and 2, or 1 through 7. But I'm just going to skim these points for you. And I want you to go home and read them. And I want to close out with these, these points here today because I think they're important. You will be effective believers. You are effective believers. I speak that over you today. You may not have that confidence, but you are effective believers here today. And you need to enhance the presence of God in your life even more. When Paul was in, in, in 14.1 in Iconium, he preached the, with such power that a great number of both Jews and Greeks became believers. And the Lord proved or the Lord proved their message was true by giving them power to do miracle signs and wonders. So we see a move of God whenever we step out in God. And so we just need to realize we're effective and be a witness for him. You are effective. The second thing is you will have opposition. Uh, don't assume that if God is with you, then you, you will not encounter any significant opposition. Uh, these incidents remind us that actually is the opposite. Uh, where God is at work, the enemy tries to stir up opposition and, and difficulty. Uh, I think God's attacked Oakton really hard the last year and a half. Really hard. And I think that he's gotten through to some. And, and we need to be careful of that. Because Satan's coming out to hit us because he knows what God wants to do with us. He knows that you're going to be effective, so he's going to pop your life. He knows that Oakland's going to be effective, so he's going to pop us in the eye. We need to continue to press into salvation, continue to press into righteousness, obedience, and, and let God do his thing. And, and, and again, the same thing happened to Paul. In Antioch, some people went wild with jealousy and tore into Paul. This is out of the message in 1345 of Acts. 
They went wild with jealousy and tore into Paul, contradicting everything he was saying, making an ugly scene. They stirred up persecution and, and expelled them from the region. Well, that's pretty serious, isn't it? Believers, or the Jews, excuse me, stirred up things to the point that they drove Paul out of the country. Then we see in Iconium, those who refused to believe worked up whispering, a whispering campaign against Paul and Barnabas, showing mistrust and sus- suspicion in the midst of the people in the streets. Organized suspicion. We've never done that, have we? We've never entertained that, have we? Do you guys realize that even people, I always say Paul had a posse, but he had a posse of people that followed him around to kill him. People hated him so much that they followed him from town to town to town, and you can read that in the Scripture, and opposed everything he tried to do. And we got to get that out of our head that everybody's going to like us. We say, but pastor, I don't want to witness because I may offend somebody. You will offend somebody. It's a given. Get over that. Be effective. No matter what you do, you will offend somebody. You'll offend somebody if you pray over your meal at at the uh, Dairy Queen and not even looking at anybody else. You're going to offend somebody. People were offended by Paul. Do you guys even realize in Acts chapter 2 that when people received the Holy Spirit, there was a whole bunch of others saying they were drunk and making fun of them? Not everybody's going to receive the message. Quit worrying about it. I'm talking to me here. <laughs> be honest with you, most of this sermon's for me. So if it don't work for you, it, it's hitting me. Because I'm living this here. All of it that I'm preaching today. I need more of the presence. I need to stand in salvation, righteousness, obedience, and allow God to do what he wants to do. I need to get my eyes off the the worldly gains and the lusts and get my eyes on him. I need more of him. But you will have joy. And that's what gets me. Happiness does not depend on what is happening to you. The happiness is in God's presence. If you get focused on what's going on, you're going to get more depressed. Man, watch Fox News all day, and and I'm a Fox News guy. You'll be depressed after a while. But you go to prayer, and you start seeking God. Oh, the presence. In the middle of opposition, and they had been forced to leave Antioch, Paul and Barnabas went to the next town, Iconium, brimming with joy in the Holy Spirit, two happy disciples, Acts 13, 52 message. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit is from the ESV version. They're all saying the same thing. In Antioch, Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, we have to speak the word of God to you first. In other words, they knew that if they spoke the word of God first, that they would be beaming in happiness. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything else will come into play. 
Gary sent this out Friday morning, Gary Dumb. And it's a, this is a word from the Lord, you know, he thought was for him, but I think it's for us. But it read like this. It said, my son, but I'm going to say, Oakton, the challenge for today is to stay in my strength, to let my presence surround you and mitigate the stress. Mitigate means manage. I hear it all the time, and I'm not knocking this because I understand there's maybe a time for it, but, but people are on pain management or on this management. God is saying, let me manage your stress and your frustrations that would attempt to enter your day. The test is not to kick against the goads. I know what that means, but some of you younger ones may not mean, but goads means something or someone that annoys and provokes you. The test is not to kick against those that annoy you and provoke you, but to rest in my presence no matter the situation that attempts to come against your desires. I am your strength. I am your balm of Gilead. And guys, in a nutshell, that means your medicine, your healer. Let me go beside you to perfect your day. I'm willing. Are you? I got that after I just finished writing the sermon and I opened up and read that. And it's exactly what we talked about today. We need to enhance the presence of the Lord in our lives. We can make a difference in this world. What I wanted to skip over earlier today is because I don't, I'm not up here to offend people, but last week we were really low in numbers. And the reason being is there was four things going on last week. And I thought about, man, all the things that we were at last week, we had a huge group of people there that if they would have said, hey, let's do this on a Saturday, we probably could have changed it. We need to start standing up and protecting the presence, the word in our life. We need to ask God to enhance his presence in our life. Guys, what I'm saying to you, I'm living this because I tell you straight, if I don't get my prayer time in the morning, I'm done by the end of the day. I'm a miserable guy to be around, to be honest with you. That's my life. But I've got to go out and hit the throne. I've got to get the word. And you know what? I've had to adjust my schedule to do that. I have to be out by six now to accomplish that. And if that's what it takes, then I need to do it. And I'm not telling you what to do, but we need to experience his presence And if you're doing that, we need an enhanced presence in our life. Man, God, you guys are powerful. You guys can change the world. You're effective. But Satan's doing everything he can to keep you from being effective. He's doing everything he can to keep me from being effective. He knows my hot spots. And it's hard to stay in the presence and stay in the, in the Lord and get past it, but you can. I've showed you the scripture today. 
You can walk in the joy of the Lord. It's there. But we got to get our eyes off of everything else but him. But him. You heard the word of the Lord that I believe Gary got. The altar call today is if you need an increase of his presence, then come to these altars. And you don't have to tear you up here to say, Lord, I need an increase in you. I can't do it with my wife. I can't do it with my husband. I can't do it with my children. I can't do it with a job. I can't do it with money. I've tried all these things. I need you. I need you, Lord. If you're here today and you haven't been saved, you can't do what I'm talking about until you're saved. But salvation is saying, Lord, enhance your presence in my life. If you need to be saved today, come and talk to me. But guys, you are effective. And you will overcome trials and tribulations in your life with great joy. Amen?